The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Well, good morning. My name is Casey Shaw. I have the joy of serving as pastoral associate here at Parkwood. I have been middle school pastor for the last four years, so I'm grateful to be with you guys this morning. I haven't seen you in a while, except for this weekend. I saw you a whole lot. It's good to see you this morning. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at this morning, verses 13 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the chair Bible. Middle schoolers, if you lost your Bible at some point this weekend, you're welcome to use the chair Bible page 975 in that Bible. Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. I invite you to stand as we read God's word together. Paul writes, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would fill us with affections for Christ this morning, that we would treasure you and the freedom that you have called us into Give us clarity of mind as to what you mean by freedom. And may we celebrate you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The main idea this morning, this passage, is living in the freedom of Christ results in serving and loving others, not selfishness. And so Paul began in chapter 5 of Galatians in verse 1. He said, this is the climax of the book. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The message of verses 1 through 12 in chapter 5 are don't lose gospel freedom. Don't lose your freedom, brothers. And then Paul picks up this idea of freedom again in verse 13. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Before we press further into this freedom that God calls us into through Christ, I want us to first consider that it is God who has called us into this freedom. John Stott says, our Christian life began not with our decision to follow Christ, but with God's call to us to do so. He took the initiative in his grace while we were still in rebellion and sin. In that state, we neither wanted to turn from sin to Christ, nor were we able to, but he came to us. He called us to freedom. Holy and just, righteous God called us rebels, slaves to sin, slaves under the law, so that those of us who believe in Jesus will not perish in our eternal state of slavery, but will enjoy freedom in Christ forever. That is the gospel. That is the freedom that God calls us to. 
William Hendrickson said that the gospel brings us into the realm of freedom, the sphere of grateful and spontaneous living to the glory of God. And he invites us to roam about freely in this new country, delighting in its treasures and making full use of its opportunities. It's this freedom that we want to savor together this morning as God's people. But we want to remember the warning of verses 13 through 15. Just as verses 1 through 12 was don't lose gospel freedom, Paul says in verses 13 through 15, don't abuse gospel freedom. We've seen the danger of trying to merit God's favor through keeping the law throughout the entire book of Galatians. This kind of living creates a culture of condemnation and envy and despair in the church. And Paul says, you're not slaves anymore. You're free. But then he hits the pause button here in verses 13 through 15 and says, but let me clarify what I mean by freedom. Because he knows that we, though we are free from the penalty of sin, we still have hearts that are prone towards sin. We have hearts prone toward abusing the freedom that God has called us to. Here's one of the big issues that people have with the, the gospel. The gospel is almost too, too good to be true. We're saved by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. In other words, we don't bring anything to the table in salvation. God provides everything necessary. And so people say, well, people, if you preach that, people will do whatever they want to do. They'll live however they want to live. Now, Paul doesn't want us to fall back into rule keeping and lose our freedom, but Paul also doesn't want us to fall into permissiveness and abuse it either. And that's what we want to talk about in this passage. The freedom that God calls us into is real freedom. And we must clearly understand it if we are to joyfully walk in it as God's people. So the first thing I want us to see is that a false understanding of freedom creates a culture of destruction. There's two ways that this destruction is created, selfishness and conflict. The first way the false understanding of freedom begins with selfishness. Look at verse 13, he says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, Paul's button, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul adds that Paul's right there. You're called to freedom, but don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul knows that we're prone to turning liberty into license. We're tempted to interpret freedom as the privilege to do what, whatever our evil hearts are inclined to do instead of looking to the Spirit to do what we are intended to do, what we ought to do. In short, we as sinners, when we hear freedom, we so easily think freedom to serve myself. We think freedom to indulge my sin. We fall into one of two categories or both, self-preservation and or self-gratification when we hear freedom. I'm free to preserve me, myself, my likes, my wants at the expense of you, or I'm free to gratify whatever needs I have. That's not the freedom that we're called into. We need to hear the warning of Paul's little statement, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh because Jesus did not pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have the privilege to indulge our sin and frame it as freedom. 
If we falsely understand our freedom in Christ, we will default naturally to indulging ourselves. Secondly, a false understanding of freedom will eventually lead to conflict. Look at verse 15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The external conflict Paul's describing here in verse 15 stems from the internal issue of self-indulgence that he describes in verse 13. Now, if I were to survey everybody in this room, a little larger crowd than eight o'clock, eight o'clock was scared of the, the ice storm that we had earlier. But there were some faithful members here. I'm glad you toughed it out and came. Middle schoolers, I know your host homes are very glad. My first 180, we got snowed in and I know the host homes had to have been like, oh no. <laughs> but it was the best one. If I were to survey everybody in this room, this big room full of people, who are the meanest people that you know? You can go ahead and write them down in your notes. Don't, don't do that. I think we would be shocked to see how many church people would be on our lists. Paul's talking to church people here. He's not talking about someone somewhere else. He's talking to people in the church. Why is this so? Why do we have lists of people that are mean in the church? Why are there mean people in the church? And if you're not a Christian and you're here, we admit it. There are mean people here couple of reasons. Perhaps people slip into the church, they blend in, but the gospel has not yet changed their hearts. They have not yet been captivated by the glory of Jesus, though they blend in real nice and fine and easy here until someone steps on their toes. But secondly, I think there are mean people in the church. Perhaps they're Christian, but they gravely misunderstand their freedom in Christ. We have to assume that this unacceptable behavior is going on in the churches of Galatia, biting and devouring one another, consuming one another. We are free, but hear me, we are not free to be jerks. We're not free to simply blurt out the truth. We are free to speak the truth in love seasoned with grace. We can be on the right side of truth and be ugly about it and so abuse our freedom. We can call out the speck of political fault in our brother's eye while ignoring the log of self-righteousness in our own. When we misunderstand freedom, we indulge ourselves and we insist on our own way no matter the cost inevitably creating conflict, disunity, and eventual destruction within the body of Christ. How many churches in our cities have closed the doors or are about to close the door because of abusing gospel freedom? How many people do you know in your life that have made shipwreck of their faith because of abusing gospel freedom? How many of us have abused gospel freedom by subtly stirring up envy, strife, and jealousy within the church? Keyword subtly, stirring this up. How many of us have abused gospel freedom by insisting on our own way at our job, in the church, maybe even our homes? We 
are not free to presume upon the grace of God and live however we want to live. That's not freedom. We so easily interpret the word freedom through the lens of our own sinful, self-indulgent hearts. And here's what's scary. And you see this in our culture. When our sinful, self-indulging hearts insist on our freedoms, our freedoms inevitably become our gods. That is not the freedom that God has called us to. God has called us to real freedom defined by him, not us. And so we need God to tell us what true freedom is. So the second point I want us to see is that a true understanding of freedom creates a culture of love. Culture of love. I want us to see a couple things in verses 13 and 14. Before I get there, I want to Build. I want you to see Paul's intensity coming from verse 7 in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 7. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves for you are called to freedom, brothers. See, not only Paul's anguish over the souls of the Galatians, we see Paul experience godly frustration toward the Judaizers, hindering the Galatians from experiencing the freedom that God has called them to. That is not freedom. True understanding of freedom is expressed in love. Paul wants to see the Galatians live as Christ has called them to live, not as the Judaizers are calling them to live, in real freedom, not in bondage. You don't have to add to Christ and that is good and that is freedom. Christ has paid it all, literally. Do you believe that? So what is real freedom? What is true freedom? He tells us you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But here it is, through love, serve one another. That is so simple. In other words, real freedom is not serve myself, do whatever I want to do. Real freedom is serve others through love. Christ has set us free from sin to live as God has designed us to live for others, not ourselves. That's freedom. That's the freedom that God has called us into. And maybe you have an objection to that. Well, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. That doesn't sound like any freedom that I want to have, that I want to live. I want to be the God of my life. I want to call the shots. And I would just say to you, how is that working out for you? I know when I call the shots in my life and when I am tempted to call the shots in my life, things just, it just, it just doesn't go well. God calls the shots and God has said that this is what freedom is. Serve one another through love. Let's look at Jesus, though, the most free being in all the universe. Jesus the Christ, fully God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, 
I love this picture as I was studying this week. John 13, you can flip over there with me. Just see this picture of Jesus. And keep in mind, this is the most free being in all the universe. He is the sovereign king of all. Hebrews 1 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Nothing exists apart from Christ. He speaks and things come into being. This is the Jesus we're talking about. In John 13, verses three through five, this Jesus, it says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. There's not one thing that Jesus doesn't hold in the palm of his hand and say, mine. It's mine. I have all control. But this Jesus, it says in verse four, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The sovereign king of the universe gets down on his hands and knees and does the nastiest job at that time. Does the job that your lowest servant would have done. The king does it. That's freedom. You might say, he was certainly free to do that, but freedom should bring joy. Okay. Hebrews 12, 2. Same Jesus. Different story. Fast forward a little bit. Hebrews 12, 2. The author tells us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. The most self-sacrificial act in all of human history, the cross of Jesus Christ freely and joyfully embraced. It wasn't that the physical act, the physical Reality of being nailed to a cross was joyful. But Jesus looked to the cross in laying down his life and the joy he would accomplish to redeem and set free sinners like you and me. There is joy in that freedom. There is joy at the cross. In fact, I would say real freedom and real joy are only found at the cross because it is there where we see our Lord where he says in Galatians 2.20, loved you and gave himself for you. That's where you see freedom. The most free being in all the universe doing what he joyfully, gladly, willingly did. Laid himself down for you and for me. That's the picture of freedom. When we come face to face with the claims of the cross, one of two things. We either walk away offended and delusionally free or we cling to Christ by faith alone and, and are really free. And think about this. If we're followers of Jesus and Jesus says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This is why he set us free, for freedom. This same Jesus says, Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me into freedom. The path to freedom is 
denying oneself, taking up our cross and following Jesus. We by faith in Christ are set free to follow a savior who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Again, a picture of freedom in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Middle school students, I wanna talk to you for just a second. So hundreds of people gave up their time and energy and resources emphasis on energy to serve you this weekend. And you might think, well, they gave up their freedom for you. No, we exercised our freedom for you. We are free to serve you. We are free to say, your soul is more important than how I spend my weekend. In fact, I want to spend my weekend giving myself for the sake of your soul because I want you to enjoy Jesus and live in his freedom forever. And so I'm gonna exercise my freedom by giving myself to you your drivers, your host homes, your small group leaders, the people who cooked and I'm missing people, I know. That's freedom. These people have given their weekends and they've said with Paul, I will most gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your soul. And here's the Here's the sad thing for some of you middle school students, you're afraid to follow Jesus because you think in following Jesus, you're gonna give up your freedom. That couldn't be further from the truth. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Middle school students, come to Christ and find freedom. Find true joy. It's not on Instagram. You could get infinity amount of likes on every post you ever put on the whatever, webosphere. It will not scratch the desperate itch in your soul that only God can feel. Only freedom is found in Christ. Augustine, he's an old dead guy, okay? But he said, our hearts will not find rest until they find rest in God. And here's what he's saying. You can search for freedom here and there and everywhere, wherever you're looking for it. But ultimately God has designed us to know freedom and joy only in him. And it's only when we rest totally in Christ where we can experience freedom and lasting joy. Freedom and joy are only found at the cross. And when we understand this, our freedom is expressed through love. Second thing I want us to see in verse 14, a true understanding of freedom fulfills the law. Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So why does Paul bring the law back up? 
in Galatians, he hasn't spoken very highly of the law. He hasn't. But we have seen two things about the law in the book of Galatians. The law, number one, cannot save us. In other words, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before God. Secondly, the law shows us that we need a savior. Because we can't keep it, it shows us that we need someone to keep it in our place. But what about now? He's bringing up now in the context of Galatians. What about now that we've been redeemed? We're no longer slaves under the law. We're not bound by the law. So why would Paul bring the law back into equation? It's because the moral law of God reflects the character and heart of God and how he intends for us to relate to him and to one another. The moral law of God doesn't go away for us as believers. We just have a new spirit-enabled strength and desire to keep the law to live as God has intended us to live. And how is that? He tells us in this simple phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now as people set free to serve one another through love, we are now free to obey the law of God. We are free to see the commandments in a whole new light, with a whole new lens, with a changed heart. You shall not murder is seen as how can I make your life better? You shall not commit adultery is seen as how can I respect your sexual integrity? You shall not steal is seen as how can I safeguard your rights? Not mine. You shall not bear false witness is seen as how can I uphold your reputation? Because I'm concerned for you. I'm here for you. John Stott said, truly to love somebody is not to possess him for myself, but to serve him for himself. This is a picture of the beautiful culture that the gospel creates. Who doesn't want this? I appeal even to the person in the room who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't want this kind of community? This is a community that only Jesus creates, that only his grace promotes. All throughout Galatians, Paul has shown us what we have been set free from. And now in Galatians 5, he changes gears and he says, this is what you've been set free for. And here it is. This is what we are free to do, to demonstrate by our love for one another, a picture of the gospel to one another and to the watching world. That's what we're free to do. We're free to image together the glory of Jesus at the cross. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Christ has set us free from sin to live as God has designed us to live for others, not ourselves. So what? Just one closing application question. Am I using my freedom to serve myself or serve others? Am I using my freedom to serve myself or serve others? I wanna ask it this way, maybe a little more simple. Are you a Christian? Let you think about that for a second. If so, Is your Christianity making you more like Jesus Christ crucified? For Paul, this was everything. 
Paul said that he desired to know nothing among the Corinthian believers except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul gave his entire life for. At the heart of Christianity is a sovereign king who came to us not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. At the heart of Christianity is our Lord on the cross saying to us, deny yourself and follow me. If your Christianity is not making you look more like him, if your Christianity compels you to contend more for your freedoms than to cling to Christ, then you need to repent of your Christianity. You need to cling to the Christ, the real Jesus, the real Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. He creates a people for himself who go and do likewise. Real freedom is only found at the cross and real freedom is only enjoyed by staying at the cross. And it is from there that our identity and our freedom and the community that God creates flows from us. I wanna end on this. This is a lengthy quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's talking about how through the gospel, we have a new lens to see people, to see our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a picture of how we fulfill the law of God together. He said, we see them now. We see people now no longer as hateful people who are trying to rob us of our rights or trying to beat us in the race for money or position or fame. We see people as we see ourselves as the victims of sin and Satan, as the dupes of the God of this world, as fellow creatures who are under the wrath of God and hellbound, We have an entirely new view of people. We see them to be exactly as we are ourselves. And we are both in a terrible predicament and we can do nothing. But both of us together must run to Christ and avail ourselves of his wonderful grace we begin to enjoy it together and we want to share it together. That's how it works. It's the only way whereby we can ever love others as we would have them love us. It is when we are really loving our neighbor as ourselves because we have been delivered from the slavery of self that we begin to enjoy our glorious liberty as children of God. God has set us free not to go about freely enjoying ourselves as God. God has set us free to enjoy him as God and to enjoy the freedom that he calls us into for the sake of others. Let's pray. Father, we would not be here had you not called us to freedom. Had you not moved first, had you not loved first, I pray that you would melt our hearts with the reality that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And in the cross, we find freedom, we find hope, we find joy forever. I pray that we would together as your people run to the cross and we would stay there. And by the power of the gospel, your spirit in us, you would shape us and you would mold us to exercise our freedom for the sake of your glory 
and our brothers and sisters, that the watching world would look and see and be amazed at the culture and community that your gospel creates in us. God, give us grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.